You're listening to ReachMD on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Inspired to Act, featuring international leaders in the field of medicine. Inspired to Act is presented by PrimeMed, your leader in continuing medical education. Here is your host, founding chair, Department of Neurology, Brigham and Women's Hospital, and professor of neurology at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Martin A. Samuels. Race, religion, reproductive choice, and politics in medicine, still a flashpoint of discussion. Joining us to discuss his personal involvement in a landmark legal case that involved all of these issues is author and emeritus professor of obstetrics and gynecology and former associate dean for student and minority affairs at Boston University School of Medicine, Dr. Kenneth Edlin. Ken, it's great to uh, have you on the program to talk to you once again. Thank you, Marty. It's awfully nice to be here. I just finished reading your book. I, I just read it for the first time, Broken Justice, and I, I have to tell you, as, just aside from the major issue that you talk about, and we're going to talk about that uh, today, it was a real blast from the past for me because I went to Boston City Hospital as an intern of medicine in 1971, and that was the year you started in OBGYN. Is that right? That is absolutely correct, and it took me 30 years to write this book. And uh, reliving and going back over those times was an interesting and sometimes painful process. How did you, before we talk about the big issue or what happened there, was the city well-known as a great place to train in OBGYN? Oh, it, it absolutely was. It was a great hospital, and, and many people that I had met over the years who had done their postgraduate training there just raved about what a wonderful place it was. And I knew that that's where I wanted to be, or a place like that, serving the inner city, serving the underserved, serving poor folk and African-American women. I knew that's where I wanted to be, and Boston is a mecca for, for health care and for health education. Were you aware of the dark side of Boston when you came here? I mean, I, I didn't really know it. You know, I have to be honest. I came from Cincinnati where I was a medical student. I came to Boston thinking of it as a liberal bastion, and I worked at the city, and it struck me as a big surprise. What, what did you find when you got here? That was my experience as well. You know, from afar, it, it really did look like a liberal bastion. It was a, a progressive city. They've been very much in the forefront of the abolitionist movement way back when, Ed Brooke was now a senator in the United States Senate. I said, wow, what a great liberal city and what a great place for black folks to come to live and to, and to learn and to work. And then you get inside, and then that's really when you see what Boston was really like and the politics of Boston and the control over the city and its politics by a small group of people who were really imposing their will and their political clout on everybody else. You came into this environment, you were trying to become an obstetrician-gynecologist, doing your job, and then this event occurred. Can you relive that? I, I know it's unpleasant in a way, but can you relive that for us? What happened that caused this event? Well, I came to Boston City Hospital, as I said before, because that's where I wanted to learn the art of obstetrics and gynecology. It had a great reputation. Obstetrics and gynecology is such a special specialty, and I'm sure we all say that about our own specialties, but there you are helping a woman have a baby, bringing the next generation into the world, and it really is a very special time in her life and in her family's life and in the life of the obstetrician who's taking care of her, and so that's always been a special attraction, and it's usually a very happy specialty. Unfortunately, when you're dealing with the vagaries of human reproduction, sometimes things don't work out as we hoped they would. And so I recognized, too, that part of my responsibility 
was to help those women who found themselves pregnant. And for some reason, something goes terribly wrong in the pregnancy. Either uh, they don't want to be pregnant, this is the wrong time for them, uh, or there's some serious congenital malformation with the fetus, or she has some very severe medical problem which is being made worse by her pregnancy. And it's those kinds of situations that help me also to understand that women need to have access to safe pregnancy termination services for reasons that are known best by them, but reasons nevertheless which fit into my and hopefully other obstetricians' uh, scope of the services that we think women need and deserve. And so Boston City Hospital allowed me to do that. And when I came, women had access to abortion services if they were extremely ill, either physically or mentally. Their request had to be approved by the Abortion and Sterilization Committee of the hospital. And if that took place, then she could have her pregnancy terminated. And then in January of 1973, the Supreme Court handed down its ruling in Roe v. Wade, which said states cannot restrict women's access to abortion services, struck down every restrictive abortion law in the country, including in Massachusetts. And so that meant that we didn't have to present those cases to the Abortion and Sterilization Committee anymore, and that women could come in and have safe legal abortions. And we set up an abortion service, and the women from Boston, especially from some of the poorest sections of Boston, came to our doors asking for our help. And this person, the person who you called Yvonne, who I assume that's a pseudonym for her, was such a person. And this was a fairly standard procedure. You, you tried to do a saline abortion, and it didn't work, uh, technically didn't work, and you went ahead with a hysterotomy. Is that, right? is that what happened? Yes, that is, in fact, correct. She came in at the end of October of 1973, some 10 months after the Roe v. Wade ruling, and she was about 17 weeks by her last menstrual period, a senior in high school, getting ready to graduate to be the first in her family to go on to college. She and her mother came to our OBGYN clinic requesting an abortion. And she was seen by one of my attending physicians. He called me in, introduced me to them. I examined her. He then asked me to schedule her for a second trimester abortion, which I did and carried out. And as you indicated, it was a failed saline. They were very desperate and pleaded with me not to send her home still pregnant. And so with their full consent, I performed a hysterotomy on her. And the fetus, which was delivered, had no signs of life because of all of the problems that we had with the saline infusion. And it, for you, was it was a fairly straightforward case? and Very straightforward. Something that I had seen done in the two years prior to, you know, my final year, you know, during which time I was the chief resident. And so this was not an unusual case at all. But the issue, of course, arose because the politicians, or the way you told the story in your book, Dapper O'Neill was very much involved with the sort of initiating an investigation of a lot of charts over at the city and turned up this case. So there were political motivations. Is that right? Yes. And, this, and you know, this whole thing came to light, so to speak, because David Charles, who was the chair of the OBGYN department, along with two researchers from, you know, from the Harvard service at City had this research project in which they were trying to determine how much of a particular antibiotic would cross the placenta and get to the fetus if given to a pregnant woman. And those, that kind of information and that kind of research was very important, especially, for example, trying to treat a woman who may have syphilis and you're, and you're trying to treat the fetus 
and you can't use penicillin because she's allergic to it. So they wanted to see how much erythromycin would cross the placenta. And the study involved women who came to city hospitals seeking elective abortions. They were enrolled in the study with full consent, and uh, the fetal tissue was analyzed for levels of antibiotics. And that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in June of 1973. And, and Dapper O'Neill was on the city council then, held full public hearings, and all of the all of the experts who came to testify were those people who had some anti-abortion or right-to-life affiliation within the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. So, Ken, you were accused of manslaughter. I mean, they brought a case against you of killing this fetus, and they constantly referred to it as a baby and so on and so forth, and it was a horrible ordeal for you. As you were going through this ordeal, before the ultimate good outcome from your standpoint, what did it feel like? It was clearly as you can imagine, a very dark, deeply emotional, fearful time, having been someone who had worked for so long to become a physician, and it was now getting ready to be taken away from me, facing 20 years in jail and the loss of my license to practice medicine. It was a time of really deep despair. What helped me, however, were two things. Number one, my own personal conviction that I had not done anything illegal or immoral, that I was operating well within the law, well within accepted medical procedures, and well within my own conscience. The other thing that helped and and sustained me were were the hundreds and thousands of letters I received from mainly women, but also men and physicians from all over the country who described for me their own personal experiences in America in the time before Roe. I got letters from women who described the humiliation and the pain and the shame of what they had to go through to find illegal abortion services prior to Roe v. Wade. Those two things helped me to go on and actually got me out of my deep sense of dread and helped me understand that the issue was more than about Ken Edelin. The issue was about access for women to quality reproductive health care services, making sure that those services could be delivered with dignity and, and in safety for the benefit of our patients, my patients, the women who came to me seeking my help. That has sustained me. That was the reason I went into medicine. That was the reason I went into obstetrics and gynecology, and it certainly is what helped to sustain me during that very, very dark period. I have to say, as, a, as an outsider, I was in the medical service, and when this was happening to you, uh, none of us, of course, could say that we went through anything like this. But uh, so many of us felt also felt horribly threatened by the idea that out of the blue, doing your job, that you could suddenly be accused of a criminal act. It turned out to be an extremely important moment in medicine, and you were in the middle of it, I do want to remind our audience that this ordeal ended happily uh, after a conviction by this jury in Boston. The uh, Supreme Judicial Court rapidly reversed it, and that was the end of it. There was no new trial because there was no evidence. And I think the final outcome was, was a good one, but it was quite a horrible ordeal for you. I wonder if you could say something about the idea of doing something this inspirational and this uh, important. I mean, did you know you were doing it while you were in the middle of it? Or is it only in retrospect that you see this as having been a great contribution, which it obviously was? I was doing my job, Marty. I was doing my job in the best way that I knew how. I was doing the job 
that I went into medicine to do. I wanted to be a physician uh, since I was a little kid, and I finally had the opportunity to go to medical school and then to become an obstetrician gynecologist. I had seen my mother die from breast cancer, and I knew that I wanted to do something to help women in their lives and their health. I had no intention of testing any law. I had no intention of pushing an envelope. I had no intention of doing anything like that. I was doing what we, most of us as physicians want to do, is to take care of our patients. If we could be freed from all of the things that distract and detract us from doing what we love about medicine, that very special privilege of coming in contact with patients and entering their lives and helping people get better when they're sick and helping them literally change their lives is a very special privilege and honor that we have as physicians. I want to thank author and emeritus professor of obstetrics and gynecology and former associate dean for student and minority affairs at Boston University School of Medicine, Dr. Kenneth Edlin. Thanks so much for spending time with us this week on Inspired to Act, Ken. Thank you, Marty. Look forward to talking to you again. You have been listening to Inspired to Act on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals, featuring international leaders in the field of medicine, hosted by Dr. Martin A. Samuels and presented by PrimeMed, the leader in continuing medical education. At PrimeMed, we believe in you, the practicing healthcare professional, and we support your commitment to your patients. Our goal is to give you the tools to stay up to date with the latest developments in your field, whether you treat day-to-day patients and their average and not-so-average illnesses, or patients dealing with diverse chronic conditions. PrimeMed CME programs are designed for you. We know you each learn differently. That's why we offer education in a variety of formats. Live, because you like to interact with peers and faculty. Online, because it's convenient and available to fit your schedule. And in print, because of its portability. Regardless of the medium, PrimeMed delivers knowledge that touches patients. PrimeMed CME is developed through extensive collaboration with leading professional associations, academic institutions, hospitals, technology companies, and over 1,500 prominent faculty. With over 120 live meetings and 300-plus online CME activities, 350,000 healthcare professionals globally trust PrimeMed as their source to stay better informed and educated in today's always-on world. We invite you to join us in person at an innovative cutting-edge meeting and clinical education program. If it's more convenient, visit PrimeMed online. For more information, visit www.pri-med.com. Thank you for learning with PrimeMed.